I have pearlescent fake M&Ms as part of my gift from Nick. So I've been like eating candy all morning because it's Valentine's week. So you do like pearls is what you're telling me. Pearlescent. I feel like you're not a pearl girl. Like I couldn't give you like a pearl necklace and you'd be like, "Mm, yay, thank you. (laughs) Like me as a child growing up, my mom just gave me this necklace. She gave us Atta Pearls. Have you ever heard of this? No. Where every year you get like a pearl added to the chain. And mine stopped at like eight years old because they were like, we're done with this. You know, like I started young on pearls. I mean, so freshwater pearls especially are actually really common culturally. But so I do have a lot of pearl necklaces from Bangladesh. But my mom always was a stone gal. So like my collection is like diamonds and rubies and like very, I mean, you've seen the jewelry collection. I love jewelry. However, as it pertains to M&Ms, I will accept any and all forms of candy. So... These are Sugarfina, Ooh. which just so happens to be my favorite brand of That was candy. good ASMR. It bounced off the microphone, which mm. leads me into, you know, what we're talking about today, which is ladies get paid, which is yeah. no correlation. <laughs> but I'm <laughs> no, trying to say You want to know what? Ladies get paid. Buy your own pearlescent M&Ms. How do we do it? Who are we talking to? I think what I love about the episode that everyone's about to listen to is actually that we finally get to talk about creators and how they're really moving the needle forward in terms of progressivism for women, which I think all creators, especially creators that advocate for women are doing, but it's obviously something that's really near and dear to us as to creators that talk about women and our positioning, not only in the finance sector, but like kind of across the board. And Claire's kind of doing some stuff that cuts deep. Cuts deep. I wish I had known about Ladies Get Paid sooner. And I'm glad that there are companies like Ladies Get Paid in existence. So interviewing someone like her who just did the whole thing from start to finish, trying to start a company, creating a company with a vision that really helps other women. All of the things, right? Like we share similar, we share similar goals as Ladies Get Paid, if that makes sense. Absolutely. No, I mean, she hit the nail on the head and I'm excited to dive into it even further. But I have to say, like, this is one of my favorite series thus far, which is things we've been talking about and circling the drain either on air or offline, which is like, how do we turn this side hustle, which takes up the majority of our time into a full time hustle? And these are some ladies that actually did it. So maybe we can learn some nuggets from Claire. And I swear I'll stop eating sugar, Fina. All right. Should we jump in? Yeah, let's do it. Welcome to Girls Just Want to Have Fun, the weekly podcast that deconstructs the intimidating world of finance. Hosted by Syra Rahman, VP of Finance at HM Bradley, and her partner in crime, Megan McShane, a manager at a Fortune 100 company, and supported by StockTwits. Girls Just Want to Have Fun will take on the important questions in personal finance that so many of us avoid, but also take on a glass of wine or two. Learn more, subscribe to the show, and join Syra and Megan on their no shame adventure to financial freedom at girlsjustwanna.com. What's up, everyone? We are here with the absolutely incredible Claire Wasserman. Claire, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Claire, it's so nice to meet you. Congrats on the, the nuptials. Thank you very much. 
beautiful photos. We know you paid for them, but you, yeah. you just look that good in general. So we we always kick it off. So we believe that everyone that comes onto our show is a heroine in their own regard. And so we'll just jump right into the questions. We would like to know you as a heroine, what has been your heroine's journey thus far? Mm, what an intense question. It's funny that you, you know, you're saying like everyone's a heroine because I always do tell women like imagine that you are the main character in a movie because you are and we root for the main character and it sort of makes us I think kinder to ourselves. I don't know. My journey has been one of intensity. I, I very much live my life like if I were to get hit by a bus tomorrow and yes, that's very morbid, you know, do I regret any of the decisions that I didn't make, right? I'm a let's learn from my mistakes. So in short, I just do things and then I learn. <laughs> That's my heroine's journey. I love hearing all of that. There are a couple things that I know about your background just from having known you for a minute and like loving your background personally, Claire. But one of the things that we love asking for all of our listeners to learn is what was your one specific tipping point in your life that drove you to where you are today to for ladies get paid and all of the incredible things you've done especially over, I'll call it like the last, the last several years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. So gosh, let's bring us back to 2015. I was director of marketing for a startup called Working Not Working. Check them out, workingnotworking.com, which helps connect mostly freelancers and, and visual communications for work. We went to the Cannes Lions Advertising Festival in the south of France. Very fancy. I was very excited. First night I'm there. I walk into a party, an older guy comes up to me, sticks out his hand, smiles, and says, well, hello now, whose wife are you? Woo! <laughs> Here's the thing. Here, I'm so grateful to that man, so grateful, because it was so egregious and startling and hilarious that it was like a real before and after. And the thing that was just, I really think back to is, me being startled and not able to say anything back because we were looking for clients, right? So it's like I hear this and I can't go, well, not your wife. You know, it's like I, I can't tell him to F off. And it was really an entire week of situations of, you know, where I was made to feel pretty uncomfortable, a lot of objectification, just not being taken seriously and the inability to really say anything, right? Again, well, a gender power imbalance. That's what was happening. And at the end of the week, I I just wrote this essay about trying to understand my role in it because instantly I went to, this must have been my fault, right? If somebody was objectifying me, it must have been because my skirt was too short, right? Or maybe I was too friendly. And reflecting on how pretty much in my entire career, I'd had a lot of these experiences, right? This gender power imbalance that I always thought was me, not anyone else, and not realizing that this was something bigger, that there was a whole vocabulary that I've now since learned, like things like microaggressions. Didn't have the guts to publish it publicly. I, I was worried, you know, would I get fired? Would this reflect poorly on my boss? But I did share the essay with some friends who wrote me back and they were like, oh, I have also experienced this. Do you mind if I share it with my friends? And they did. And they, I started to get emails from these people I didn't know. Also, again, things that they'd experienced, but the process of trying to understand, you know, their role in it. And I just began to research things like, I kind of laugh now, but like women work inequality. I remember Googling that. The wage gap. I mean, now we all talk about these things, but 2015, 
I was uncovering statistics that, you know, I had to go like deep into, you know, Wikipedia and the American Center of Progress to find, right? And I was just stunned, stunned that Hispanic women make 55 cents to the dollar. No, it is not the 78 to 80 cents on the dollar that we tend to hear about. And for me, it was shame. I felt so ashamed that I didn't know these things. That was such a privilege to understand, wow, these gaps are run deep leadership gap, funding gap, investing gap. And I became overwhelmed because, I mean, run deep, but systemic, right? It's structural. What could I as an individual possibly do to combat things like this? Pretty much did nothing for a year, just kind of stewed. The real aha moment, the tipping point came for what a friend who was a freelance art director, she, she came to me and she said that she'd recently discovered that she was charging so much less than her male counterparts. You know, for her, it wasn't really discrimination. It was more just kind of lack of transparency around the discussion, you know, when it comes to money. And also that she clearly didn't value herself worthy of charging these rates that her, you know, her male friends were. And, you know, because I was in a position as the director of marketing for this kind of company, you know, I could do something about it in the sense of maybe an event, something where women came together to talk about money. That was my real aha moment. You know, the statistics I was reading about didn't know what to do other than let's have a conversation. And at the time, it was the presidential election, 2016. These candidates were hosting these things called town halls. I saw that as a format that could be really powerful, you know, that it wasn't going to be a panel where, you know, women talk about salaries, but rather peer-to-peer sharing that there needed to be a first step of like vulnerability to see that we were all going through it together, right? 100 women brought 100 women together 2015. Talk about money. That was unbelievable because it showed there are so many subjects within money, right? Really, it's power, right? It was a conversation around power in all of the ways that we define it. And as I walked out of that town hall, a friend sort of gestured to the whole group and said, you should do this. Like, this is what you should do. And I was like, what is this? She goes, I don't know, but you should do it. And long story long, I went home that night and just started a Slack group. You know, it was like, I don't know about the next event or what that might be. I'm not quitting my job, but clearly we need to continue the conversation. And it was out of that Slack group that I could see, again, going back to like, as an individual, what could I possibly do? Salary negotiations, that was a tangible. These women had questions about how to ask for more. They didn't know where to go because there's just way too much information online. They wanted a trusted source. And if they could close their own wage gap, well, hey, like that was taking agency. That was a first step. And I began hiring coaches, career coaches, money coaches, you know, going to companies. Can we, you know, use your boardroom? Let's split the ticket sales with the coach. And the whole thing got started. So that was my very long-winded answer. (laughs) But that was a series of aha moments for sure. Claire, that's a beautiful story and and really why we ask people what is their tipping point. And I love that you have that succinct like conversation because some people are like, I dropped my soda can and it said, you know, men only or or whatever. Like, you know, there is that exact moment that people are like, I'm done with this bullshit. It's time to like get on with it and move on. There was something you said inside of that that I, I'm curious of that I know some women are too. You mentioned your position was director of marketing, so you felt empowered to kind of go forward and conquer. What would be some advice like you would give someone that wasn't in a position of power, let's say, but had a passion or desire to kind of move the ball forward? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, always start with, I mean, here, let me tell you about how I got 100 women to come to this town hall. I mean, I did have a large network, but it began with six other women that I went to. And I said, 
who are three women in your life that would really benefit from this conversation and maybe have a lot to offer? Would you be open to sending them the invitation or introducing me, right? And many of them introduced me. And then I said, do you have one to three women that you think should be here? That is what made a powerful event. So, you know, it's always starting with who you know who would be passionate about the subject, who wants to support you, and then tapping into their network and making it as easy as possible for people to come together and get excited. When you start that way, and again, it can just be six people coming together, really listen and learn what is it that they need, not what is it that they want, okay, because there is a difference, what is it that they need, And, you know, it's always a balance of like you have a vision and a plan, but you have to be open to pivoting, to possibly completely changing, right? So don't be intimidated to begin with who you know. Actually, that's smarter because they're going to be more of a support and they're going to give you more transparent feedback that will help you figure out the next steps. And it's always one foot in front of the other. It really is, which is sort of liberating, right? Because when you think about the big stuff of what you ultimately would like to create, it's overwhelming. So knowing that it's just what's the next step and maybe even what's the micro step to get to that next step, that will help you. You're going to be going on the right path to actually be taking the step that is meant to be in front of you as opposed to trying to jump way ahead to what you think this should be or could be. I have so many thoughts here. This is like a culmination of so many things that I love about women that are empowering other women. And Claire, I love love that you help others rise right like i never know what the correct analogy is to this but like you help raise other women by by elevating them and i really believe that at some point we will have better equity not only at companies but in boardrooms and everywhere because of women like you and i guess that wants me to kind of drill down how did you come up with your mission for ladies get paid and like, I guess I just kind of want to hear the thought process behind that and all of the things around the company. It came from a place of anger and frustration, which is actually, I would really encourage everybody, what's the emotion behind? I mean, it's the why, but also how can you weave the emotion into what you do and how you do it, right? Because that'll allow people to really connect with it. So the mission was just, I'm pissed off. <laughs> and I started with a hashtag, which was fuck the wage gap. Like it was simple, it was straightforward. <laughs> I knew that this brand was going to be, you know, have an opinion. I was looking at other women's organizations. Everything felt a little too sanitized, you know, a little bit too light pink. We're hot pink. So it began that way. We've since, you know, kind of stepped back and looked at things more holistically because the wage gap is just like a piece of the larger issue here, which is just general inequity you know, amongst the genders, right? And and that gets manifested in lots of ways. And so now we look at it more as how do we help women advance, level up, both professionally and financially. They're inextricably tied. And to negotiate your salary means you have to be excelling at work. And to excel at work, you need to have, a, you know, a network and relationships. And, you know, we started pretty specific, which allowed us to, you know, get attention and to get a foothold. And, you know, it was very clear what we were doing. And then as we grew and really listened and learned, then, it, you know, we were able to make a kind of more encompassing kind of umbrella mission of we help women advance professionally and financially. So it's pretty clear. I mean, just personally speaking, you know, seeing my place in this organization and in the larger mission and and movement, I think for me, it's really I want to help women do and be and have more. And that can be defined 
in even more and different ways, right? So that allows for the future. So I think what I'm saying is it kind of goes back and forth between being really big and all-encompassing while also drilling down and finding footholds within that larger mission, if that kind of makes sense. But yeah, it was hashtag fuck the wage cap. You know, and then and then we started to get corporate sponsors and you know <laughs> that hashtag off. But we have it printed on merch. We've got some like OG <laughs> bags, you know. <laughs> um, actually, fun fact: we once had. I don't. I remember, want one of those OG bags labeling that. Well, it's it's pretty special and scarce because we once had. I think it was a pen company who refused to print that on the pens. That was win against their like morality clause. So had to find a different vendor for it. But you know you're doing something right if you get people to have an opinion on it. Seriously. And I I kind of want to zoom out for a second. I just realized that we haven't fully gone through the entire suite of things that is the Ladies Get Paid brand and company. So maybe for all of our listeners, do you mind breaking down exactly what LGP does and all of the different channels that you guys focus on? Yeah, yeah. So we are at its core, you know, an educational platform. You know, information education is power. We also have a global community of 100,000 women from all 50 states, more than 120 countries. They come together on Slack and Circle. They come to our webinars every week. We do an annual conference, finance festival, equal payday summit. We were an in-person events company that has obviously changed for the better actually, because now we have a big video library of all of our workshops. And so you can get an annual pass for that. And I also teach at companies. So we're really trying to, you know, attack this, I think, first from an individual standpoint. How do we arm women with the information and support they need to speak up in their lives, to get more, like I said, to be more, to have more? And then we also, again, work with the companies to figure out ways that they can make a more equitable playing field. And, you know, half the education is business, you know, sort of career and business, and the other half is financial education. Oh, and then I have a book. I'd be remiss to not mention that. Yes. Yeah. I came out with a book last year. Yeah. The book right behind you for those watching on YouTube, which is beautiful. And I'm going to get my own copy after we get off the phone, but uh, the phone. (laughs) Ladies get paid. Go get your copy. Okay. As Syrah was zooming out, I kind of want to zoom in. So this whole series... We're talking about, you know, ladies that have really taken a side hustle and taken it full time, which obviously you've done this. You've been doing it for over five years, if not your whole life. So we're curious, you know, on girls just want to, you know, have funds from a financial perspective. What did that look like? You're like, okay, I'm ready to take this full time. Did you have investors? Did you put your own seed money into it? Did you take a salary? Like what's the nitty gritty there? Yeah. So I should be clear. I had had a failed, actually two failed startups, but thank God for them because they taught me what I needed to learn. And it's funny because the first startup really is kind of the first iteration of Ladies Get Paid. The reason I'm bringing those up is because I learned how to live off of nothing when I did those startups. I had actually given up my apartment in New York and lived month to month with different friends on their couches and helped contribute to their rent because it really was – it's not so much what you make, it's what you spend. And I gave myself a runway to do that by you know spending very little. Didn't work out, learned, then it was time to do this. Okay. So I knew what I needed to live. Okay. I 
left my company, the company I was working for pretty quickly. I probably was like a month and a half, two months into starting Ladies Get Paid because I had to. I was in a position at that company where not that it was a conflict of interest, but I was effectively building, you know, something that was career development oriented. And I was working for a recruitment company. And it just kind of wasn't possible to do both. So I do want to say, you know, I jumped sooner than I would recommend anybody else to do. But I had savings. I was in a relationship with somebody who was able to, you know, he had money and was contributing. And then I put things on my credit card. Eek, you know. I didn't get into bad debt. I had done that earlier when I first graduated college and I really had no idea that interest existed or interest compounded. So at this point, at least I knew how to use my credit card. But I did, I did put things on it. So that, you know, that was a process. The other thing was and I learned this in my last failed startup, I knew what the business model was. Because in my mind, if you were not bringing in money, then you don't have a business, you have a project, okay? My business here was doing events, workshops with career coaches where we would split the ticket sales. There was no money that needed to be put up up front because I would find these companies and pitch them that it was in their interest to host us, you know, in a boardroom or, you know, whatever. So, you know, and there were t- we were charging tickets, not much, but I didn't have to pay for space. I didn't have to pay the instructor up front because, you know, it was also to their benefit to do this that was helping them get clients and to build, you know, their name brand. And so from the beginning, there was no money spent other than my time, okay, other than my time. But I knew that, you know, what that runway would look like. And pretty quickly, I was able to go to brands and sponsors and say, listen, I'm getting 100 women in a room for an event. These are women you want to market to. These are women you want to hire. Or maybe, you know, if I'm hosting this at your company, you can provide this as a service to the women who currently work at your company. And this is going to make them even more excited to work for you, right? Increasing productivity. It increases the chances that they stay at the company. Like there was a case to be made in a lot of different ways to incentivize brands, companies to want to sponsor. And I started small and I proved that I could get people to come out. Again, beginning with the six women you know, who each invites one to three women. So that was how how I began and just lived incredibly frugally for a long, long time, you know? So no investors, never got an investor, talked to a few, but realized we could raise that money through brand sponsorships and not have to give up equity. So it just – it. I have to say, though, I mean, there were times where we looked at other companies who were raising money, particularly VC funding, and we were so envious. But it was ego. It was very – well, it was also we wanted to grow quickly, but it was, man, what's wrong with us that we're not raising that money? Now, so grateful we didn't. More money, more problems. We have full ownership. We can be nimble. You know, so it's been a journey, but never took any any kind of investing, whether it was angel or VC. Thank you so much for – humanizing such a difficult subject right like i think one of the things that i always talk about is one of the reasons a lot of women don't start their own companies is that initial fear of like what if i go broke what if i can't stand back up from a potential failure so thank you for sharing that with us that's something well, that I, I actually i appreciate you saying that cuz i i just realized two things so number one I knew I could always get a job, right? And I think anybody who's starting on their own to run a business, what an incredible story. If it doesn't work out and you're interviewing elsewhere, like you're self-motivated. You know what it's like to really think about the bottom line and and to operate, you know, with resilience and persistence and hustle, right? So I knew I was like, this would be a great story 
anyway. And then the other part is I did not have any debt. I had paid off my student loans, didn't have health problems, you know, challenges. I didn't have to pay for my family, you know, no dependents. I knew I could always go home if I needed to. So there was a lot of privilege that I brought with me. And the feeling was, if not me, then who? If not now, then when? But I do want to say you could always go back to work. I mean, as long as you know your runway, if you see that, okay, within a certain amount of time, you're not going to have the money you need, you got to start looking for work. But don't feel like just because you got out of the workforce, you can't get back in. It's really all about the story that you tell. And just know that you need to continually be expanding your network and putting yourself out there and developing those relationships. So again, you can always, always go back. So I actually love that. That's something that I personally always contemplate. It's like, oh my God, what happens if I can't like balance myself between what I want to project in my resume and not. But I've never actually thought about it from the perspective of, yes, if you start a company, you actually show you not only have resilience, but you have inner strength. You have some core competencies that a lot of people are searching for when they're trying to hire. So there is really nothing wrong with attempting to start your own company as long as you go in with the mindset that I I have me to fall back on and and that's something super powerful that I I don't think gets conveyed a lot. So thank you, Claire, for sharing that. And just to double click on that really quick, it really goes back to the beginning, Claire, that you were talking about kind of this foundational nature of saying like, fuck it, like fuck the wage gap. You know what I mean? And I'm and I'm sure you had days where you were like, this is too hard. I just need to like go back and just be like get a paycheck and take PTO and just like, you know, fuck it sort of a thing. But I'm sure that was your driver, right? It's like going from fuck the wage gap to, oh, fuck me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yes. Here's the thing. Everything has a consequence. Okay. So for me, it was like, okay, the anxiety and agita that I have for working for somebody else versus the insecurity, financial instability, and agita of working for myself, which one is worse? Because sometimes it's not like, what do you want or what's great? It's like, which is the lesser of two evils here? Because both are going to be very hard. Man, I would much rather work for myself. This is very strange, but I, in many ways, feel more stability working for myself than I do working for somebody else. I think it's because I have worked for a company that ended up closing. I have been fired before. And that sort of traumatized me. It felt like even, you know, if I was getting amazing feedback from my boss, it could go under. Like, I could be fired, you know? It could all be – like, my fate being beholden to somebody else and somebody else's business – actually has made me more insecure than being kind of the master, the mistress of my fate. So that's been my own kind of personal calculus. But you have to continually check in with yourself. I mean, just because, you know, you're feeling that way right now. I mean, in a couple of months, maybe things change for, you know, or things will definitely change. But I've always found more anxiety actually working for somebody else. Mistress of your own fate. I love that. You should put that on a, you know, a t-shirt. I love that so much. That's really good. I was thinking master and commander in my head, but. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But that doesn't make any sense. What's the female version of master? Is it just master? Mistress. It's mistress. Yeah. Is it? Okay. I'm fading. Clearly. (laughs) Goddess. Goddess of your Goddess. Yes. Okay. I love that. I'm here for that. So Claire, if you could go back in time at the beginning of Ladies Get Paid, what advice would you give yourself, like with the knowledge you have now? 
I feel like I – God, I hate to say this, but I feel like I kind of did everything right. It's actually more recently that I've struggled because <laughs> I've realized when I had nothing to lose and it was just starting from scratch, it was like pure adrenaline and I just put myself out there. And now that I have more – more people know me, there's more pressure, the stakes are higher, I actually find I have more fear that I need to work through. So my advice is always don't be so hard on yourself. You know, that's always it. And that just be honest, you know, which I, I've always been, but I also been a little worried about asking for help because I have felt like maybe I'm burdening that person or I'm looking like I'm weak or I don't know what I'm doing. And that's been, I think, to my detriment where I've struggled to build relationships with other women of where we are just counseling each other on the tough stuff. So sure, we're like co-promoting and, you know, and that's all wonderful, but Going to somebody and saying, I don't know what to price this at. Like, that's the advice I give other women. Like, ask for help. That can be hard when you are trying to project an image of success. So I would say, you know, yeah, just like, I mean, be honest with the right people, right? Be, you know, know when and what and how and where to disclose information. But asking for help, I've had to learn how to do that, which again is ironic because I give help to others. <laughs> So got to take my own advice, I guess. Yeah, I I love hearing so many things that you just said. I think it's always fascinating to me. The more I get involved in startup land, the more I realize everyone's just kind of doing the fake it till you make it, right? So like the level of confidence is only the confidence that you exude it because for the most part, everybody's doing it for the first time. And it's it's just a fascinating sociological experiment in many ways. I have a big question for you. If you could give someone advice that wants to turn their side hustle into a full-time hustle, what advice would you give them? Sure. I want to address the fake it till you make it. I just heard the other day somebody said, faith it till you make it. I thought that was very good. Yeah. Because so many women suffer from imposter syndrome to begin with. And so I sometimes find like the word fake it till you make it, it just like further compounds. So faith, we'll do faith. So you make it side hustle to real, real hustle. No, I shouldn't say real hustle. Full-time hustle. Again, it comes down to money. If you're not making enough money or you're not making money at all or you don't know what your business model is, it's not a business. It's a project. Okay. So that's the first thing. Know how you're going to be making money. Expenses. What do you need to live? Where can you cut? Do you need to make lifestyle changes, right? Maybe you decide, oh, fuck it. I don't want to make lifestyle changes. No worries. Keep it as a side hustle. Maybe it's fulfilling you in different ways. It comes down to that. In my, it's just like money in, money out. Is there something real here and can it be scaled? And are you able to live within those means? And having – just have a calendar. What milestones do you need to hit at what point? Even if you're not hitting it, at least know why. Like what's not going well? Can you – I mean, that to me actually is the hardest part. Figuring out and isolating and acting upon the variable that's not working. Sometimes it's I just don't know why because there's a lot of like nuances that can go into – why somebody might not be purchasing a workshop, for example. So you do need to also figure out how long it might take to determine these things. So it's like have runway, but then have runway for the runway. <laughs> but that's such a personal choice, really, and it comes down to your money and your goals. So I guess, Claire, the last question is, if our listeners wanted to find you, where can they find you? 
Instagram. So Claire gets paid. Obviously, ladies get paid. Come join our network. It's free to be part of the online platform. So ladiesgetpaid.com, the book. It's ladiesgetpaid.com slash book or anywhere where you can find books. I should be there. Thank you so much, Claire. To all of our listeners, I highly, highly recommend the book. It's my book that I give to all of my girlfriends who are like asking me the question about how to get a raise, how to start navigating the corporate workplace a little bit more aggressively. All of the things that are so important to us as women that are hard to ask other people for advice on. So I encourage everyone to join that community. It is most certainly one of my favorites. Claire, thank you so much for your time today. I am so, so happy that we finally got to sneak you into the pod. Really excited to launch this episode. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks to both of you. And thanks to everybody for listening. I hope to see you. I hope to see you at a Ladies Get Paid event soon. All right, Meg. So what did you think? You know, I'm really excited about this series in general, taking your side hustle to full hustle, which is really what it says. But what we're hearing is some similar things, which is have a good foundation, understand what you're, you know, how you're going to make money, what your nest egg is, how you monetize your business forward, but also how you go out and get those people. How do you match with people that are going to pay you? And what I heard Emma say last week was, you know, brand sponsorships, open it up to people, be like, hey, here's my pitch. This is why you should pay me. I heard Claire kind of parrot the same thing of like, hey, ladies get paid is a real functioning business. This is how it works. This is why you should pay me. So I think that's something for us to just noodle on and in general. And I think our listeners, too, if you're looking to take, you know, your side hustle a little bit more seriously from a project to full time, perhaps. I love that. And I think that that is from like a business perspective, 100% how people should be looking at converting it. I think if I were to layer something else on that really affected me from both Emma and from Claire, who she said it so succinctly, but it's that we need to really focus on the fact that the only person you really need to rely on is yourself. And that's not just at work. And that's not that like at a job where you're getting paid by someone else, it's also on yourself. So your resume doesn't suddenly get like destroyed, which I keep having this fear of, right? Like my side hustle is destroying my resume. Realistically, how that should be viewed is I have resilience. I have the power to handle things on my own. I have the power to run a business on my own. I have a lot of characteristics and competencies that people should desire and want or will desire and want if I decide that this isn't for me. So it's okay to jump ship and try something different. And I think it just comes back to Dr. G at the beginning of this season, which is how do you fight imposter syndrome, right? Like foundationally, you have to be the one that's like rooting yourself forward. Like you just said, it's like, I got this. I'm competent. I'm amazing. Yes, I have my pitfalls. Yes, I need people to cover X, Y, and Z. And that's why you have partnerships. But at the end of the day, it comes back to you and just kind of pushing the needle forward, you know? Can I just say, to some extent, I feel like you and I are like psychologically talking ourselves into it, converting our side of the lit, right? We've done all these interviews. Why do you think I've put this series on the, <laughs> the episode calendar? I'm like, this is legit, dude. Like, this is it. Ugh. I don't know. This might be it. I got to overcome this this illness that is COVID <laughs> that got me out of bed this morning, which was to talk to you, which I'm excited about. Uh, but should we wrap so that you can go we back shall. to bed? <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> crawl back into my mole hole. <laughs> well, I'm swear. gonna crawl into Sugarfina coma. Yeah, nails look good. Can we talk about these champagne gummy bears? Remember when we had this idea back in the day? I used to soak my gummy bears in champagne, and now Sugarfina has converted them into an actual flavor, which is just devastating. So what you're telling me is you're drinking in the morning. No. Are these alcoholic? I don't think these are alcoholic. <laughs> no. no, it's like the kombucha. You know, Gummy bears made same. with champagne and sparkling in flavors of vintage brut champagne. But it doesn't say alcohol by volume, so presumably I can't you get know, drunk like, from you this. You make vodka sauce with pasta. You're not drinking. <laughs> really. I love you. All right. Let's wrap it up. I love you, too. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us. Head on over to girlsjustwanna.com where you can subscribe to the show, follow Megan and I on social, or even text us your important financial questions. And remember, there's no shame in asking anything. We'll see you next time on Girls Just Wanna Have Funds. Girls just wanna have fun.